Art of the Kickstart, Episode 84. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating, creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Guys, launching a Kickstarter campaign isn't exactly easy. That's why the majority of Kickstarters fail, despite how hard inventors work. I put together a free six-step email mini course to try to eradicate this evil issue and help inventors and entrepreneurs everywhere. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, you can get the new and improved six-step guide that's going to walk you step-by-step through making your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign happen. Check it out, artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, and make your crowdfunding dreams happen. Hey guys, welcome to an interesting experiment. Today, we're bringing together shows. We have Art of the Kickstart and This Week in Crowdfunding coming together to make an absolutely ridiculous crowdfunding baby. We got Zach Miller from our crowd on the line, and we're just kind of have a conversation, see how it goes. This is getting awkward now, so thanks for coming on, Zach. Thanks for having me, Matt, and thanks for uh, coming on my show. It's a reciprocal relationship as well. Let us see how this goes. It shall be interesting. So, Zach, give me a little background into what you do, and then I'll give your audience a background. We'll try to keep this flowing somewhat so it's not weird. So I run a podcast called This Week in in Crowdfunding. It's a, uh, as its name implies, it's a weekly format where one of my coworkers and I sit down, we interview a lot of guys who are primarily running the platforms in the crowdfunding space. They could be rewards-based you know, platforms like Indiegogo, or they could be equity platform, like investing type platforms like our crowd, which is the company I, I'm a partner in. And we sort of dissect the news and put our own flavor and interpretation on what's happening in the industry. So we've been following a lot of you know, some of the movements, for an example, you know, that have been changed, that you know, Google is getting further and further in, into the crowdfunding game. And, you know, sort of tracking their progress there and what that may mean to, you know, the, the industry as a whole. In our view, the podcast is it's interview format. So we get a chance to hear some of the major voices in the industry. And it's our own sort of focus on where we think the industry is going as a whole. So that's what we do. And, and in my day job, Dave and I both work for a company called Our Crowd. We're based in Jerusalem, Israel, but we are one of the most active equity crowdfunding platforms in the world. We have 6,000 investors who have invested over at this point, it's over $75 million in our startups and 52 different startups. And we've had an IPO already. And uh, we're just getting off to the races, just getting started. How about you, man? What are you up to? Yeah, you're absolutely crushing us. So Art of the Kickstart, basically, it's an interview podcast geared towards helping inventors. We get some of the biggest and best names from Kickstarter and Indiegogo on here. We've had over 80 inventor interviews, 65 or so live, and over $13 million raised, just trying to help people more on the reward side of crowdfunding. But I think that'll make an interesting topic. So you guys do equity. What's the deal with our crowd? How do you find good investments? And how's that work with crowdfunding? So unlike, and I think this is where equity uh, crowdfunding departs a little bit from the, you know, its roots in reward crowdfunding. Marketplace dynamic, it's our, you know, is our feeling and the way we develop our product and our service is that it's very hard to have an open marketplace. You know, whereas, you know, Kickstarter, you'd want to have as many projects out there, make it completely democratic to allow money and backers, you know, to figure out where they, who and, and what they want to support. It doesn't work the same way with investments, right? So you're actually buying a piece of a company 
And if you look at the data, you know, most of these companies fail, whether it was on execution or the idea, it doesn't really matter. So we actually are very, we spend a lot of time, money and resources on our due diligence team. And unfortunately, my co-host of my podcast, David Stark is not here, but he works on that team. And we see upwards of 150 business plans a month, you know, and we have a funnel there. You know, we winnow a lot of those out. We have first and second meetings with some of these companies. We end up doing due diligence and reaching out to either experts in the space or some people in our staff to, to really dig into the numbers. And, and once we feel comfortable with the company, we end up putting some of our own capital in before we open it up to the crowd. And that's in an effort to say, hey, it's not a fundraising mechanism per se. We're happy that our companies raise money, but we're, we're approaching it as investors. We're putting our own money, our own skin in the game. And then hopefully, you know, I don't know if we'll be better than the data, but, you know, the point is we're here and we're supporting the companies that we're investing in. And, and hopefully, you know, a certain a small percentage of those companies succeed pays everybody back for some of the companies that don't. And that's, that's sort of the model. But we do spend a lot of time and energy on the, on the front end of the business, which is really saying, hey, what companies are going to appear on our website? I think that's really cool. And it's bringing up Wolf of Wall Street in my head. It's like you guys, oh, are, no. getting, you guys are getting rid of the penny stocks. <laughs> You're trying to keep the losers off the platform. And I think that's really cool how equity crowdfunding is different than reward-based. You guys had SIO. Take us through that. Or, it's weird because I'm asking questions like I'm interviewing you. This is supposed to be a talk. I don't know how you guys handle this. Talk about SIO a little bit. I think that's cool that you guys, what you did with them. SIO is a very interesting story. So if you look on Kickstarter, SIO had a successful Kickstarter campaign, raised over $2 million, I think close to $3 million. They were a company, and by the way, that it's a really cool device. So we, we sort of call it like a real-life tricorder. So if you're into Star Trek, it's literally a handheld spectrometer that you point at objects and given some of the, it bounces light off of it. And given the spectrum that bounces back, it can determine what that object is. Not only that, but what are the constituents of it, right? So if, you know, if it has, you know, theoretically, you could get so exacting that it could tell you if there are allergens in your food, what the ingredients are in a meal that you have. Really, really cool. Kind of like a Google for the real world. Anyway, the, the device exists. It's an Israeli company, an amazing scientist backing it. They ended up raising money, not only from aircraft, but from Coastal Ventures, which is a well-known uh, venture capital firm in California to develop the product. With money in hand, they then decided to do a rewards-based campaign, which in my mind was, you know, we think of it, it's almost the inverse of what happens a lot, maybe with some of with the people you've had on your program at, where this was a company that actually raised venture capital initially, built the product, and then used, it was sort of a coming out party, the rewards campaign, and such that, you know, they built a, not only pre-sold the product, but got this really um, ambitious and really engaged audience of people who are waiting and building applications on the product. So they actually built an ecosystem through the, through the rewards crowdfunding campaign, and which to me was like the best of both worlds. What do you think of that? That's really interesting. I've seen it going a lot of, I've seen it been going the other way where venture capital yeah. firms will say, you guys got to put this on crowdfunding. We want to take all the risk out of it. If you guys succeed, we'll back you. It's really cool that somebody did it the other way, but it's also, it also doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest, because typically crowdfunding campaigns. It's like you have all the platforms, Indiegogo's typically of the big three, Crowd Equity, Indiegogo, Kickstarter. Indiegogo is the least advanced in terms of how far along you've got to be. And then Kickstarter. And then I'd imagine equity. Like, how do you, how do you make a decision on who you're going to invest in? That's got to be tough. It's a great question. And, you know, we have a six point investor checklist. We're very big internally here on checklists. So there's certain criteria that a company has to fall in. I can go over those criteria. I'm not sure that's that interesting. I, I do have a blog piece that I wrote about that. Okay, don't worry about it if you don't think people would be interested. What are some of the big Kickstarter campaigns you guys would love to invest in? How does that work? Do you reach out to them? Do they reach out to you? What's the process? So the truth is we don't do a lot of 
prospecting, I would call it, on Kickstarter. We're typically dealing with companies that uh, Kickstarter works really well for consumer products, and most of our companies are, are not necessarily playing in that space. So it doesn't happen to be, SIO is an exception, I think, to the rule, not the rule. But for us, it was, you know, the SIO experiment was perfect because we brought together the best of both worlds where SIO really wanted to raise a, uh, an equity crowdfunding round to get investors from all over the world participating, really owning a piece of their company to help them with business development down the line. And then once the product was mature enough where they could go out publicly, the rewards campaign provided the best, you know, the best sort of way of building their audience. So in my mind, most of our, you know, we look at teams, we view investing as a team sport. I'd love to hear your take on this, Matt whether you think this is the same sort of applies to rewards-based campaigns, whether they'll be successful or not. But for us, it's almost, you know, I, we'd rather invest in an A team with a B idea than a B team with an A idea. So the team can, is not only just the founders, it's also the ecosystem, the support system that they built around themselves. And, and that to us is one of the best signals of whether they'll have future success. What do you think? I love that you bring up the ecosystem because I think that's a huge part of Kickstarter and Indiegogo. It's not necessarily the money you're raising. I was writing a piece about this. It's the backers you're getting because you're getting the support of them going out there being like, hey, dad, check out this awesome product or bro, look at this. I got this on Kickstarter. They're sharing it. They're becoming those early adopters that'll also give you the feedback on the product. But in terms of actual team or startup success, it really depends on how far along you are in the business. So I would say if you look at a long ball strategy, team's going to be significantly more important. The higher quality startup founders that you have, the better that they work together, the more long-term success you're going to have. But at the same time, how Kickstarter, Indiegogo work, they're really design aesthetically based. If your product looks like shit, I don't know if you guys swear on your program. I'll drop a couple here and there on ours. But, uh, <laughs> but so basically, you have to have a great product layout design setup in order to succeed. So product is a big part of it, but then more of its execution. So I would say they're kind of evenly based on rewards crowdfunding versus the versus more equity where you're looking at a long ball strategy, if that makes sense. It does. So, I mean, even on the, the visual, like you said, the aesthetic on the Kickstarter, you know, page, project page, is there even a section for team or how do you, you know, okay. e either in your interviews or in some of your consulting work, do you work with a particularly strong teams to help them emphasize the fact that they actually have the guys who are going to help make this vision happen? Or is it, or you don't even really need it. The product sort of stands alone in rewards. I'm so glad you brought that up. No, guys, put, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preach and it's terrible. I try not to, but put personality into your campaigns. I think the more important, I think personality comes into play, the less epic the product is. So if you've got something like Pebble, you've got something like Oculus where it's like, holy crap, these are changing the world. People don't care as much about the team because the product just blows you away, like a freaking hoverboard on Kickstarter. But at the same time, if you have something that's more competitive with other products, you're trying to stand out, showing your team, I think that's huge in terms of basically you're building a relationship with people. People aren't looking to buy from Nike, Adidas, Reebok necessarily. If you can be personal and get on their level, you're going to connect a lot better. It's not exactly what you're talking about, but definitely showcasing the team has huge implications in reward crowdfunding. That's so interesting. And, you know, the same thing goes for us. I mean, again, the way we do it is a little bit different. Like, because we know how it how, what it takes to package together an investment, what the diligence takes, what we sort of signals itself as being a good investment, we then go and help the company piece, put together their own presentation on our site and launch them. So it's almost like a guided experience. So we're not a passive platform where we just say, hey, just, you know, people can put their projects or companies up in here and let them raise money. We actually help them. So 
in a way, you know, for us, the team is first and foremost, it's what we're looking for as investors, investing our own money. We want, you know, guys who have been down the road before, even if they failed, but like, that's a, like, that's a badge of honor for us. So we want people that can show that not only that they have a good idea, but they're the people and they're the team that are going to help make this to, you know, come to fruition because the numbers are against them. They have to prove us otherwise that they're going to be successful. So it's interesting to hear sort of the way that resonates with rewards-based crowdfunding because, you know, we're very much focused on the investment case. And, you know, although people do invest, you know, out of their, you know, maybe because there's some play with the heartstrings or some bigger idealism going on at the end of the day, at least on our platform, we want them to be focused on the investment case. Absolutely. I think it's kind of cool. You're basically building a crowd accelerator program where people pitch in money and they pitch in some support. They pitch in guidance as well. And that's, I think that may be the future of startups, a combination of that with typical reward crowdfunding as well. Yeah, it's really interesting how the space is changing. And, uh, you know, when we first started the site, our crowd in 2013, we went live, you know, we had some old school, like the head of our due diligence was the Goldman Sachs analyst of tech companies. And we were like, you know, he was, he was a little bit suspicious. He didn't think people would come in and invest $10,000, $100,000 online. And uh, it's happening. You know, these are certainly early adopters. I can't say it's, you know, the mass has adopted this yet, but people want to be part of something big and they're taking, you know, they're taking initiative and doing it on their own. So, you know, signs are good that this, like you said, Matt, this is going to be the future. So I, I love the idea of crowd equity, but I see huge issues. So let's say you invest in a Kickstarter company and they fail. Okay, you don't get your product. You probably get your money back. But in crowd equity, there's going to be those little mom and pops out there that just lose everything. How do you mitigate that kind of stuff? So that's a great question because it gets to the heart of what it means to invest in risky assets. And so one of the things we tell people, listen, you know, and we and there's some studies and I'm happy to provide the studies to you. But, you know, there's very few things we can control investing with. If you're in a stock market investor, you can't really control the way the stock market performs. But you can't control like how you manage risk. And so at least in our space, you know, the numbers have shown that people who are successful investing in startups have to invest in at least 10 to 15 startups. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to make money in this field. So, you know, at $10,000 a piece, you know, that's $100,000, $150,000 you have to be able to allocate to the asset class. If you don't have that or you're illiquid, it doesn't make sense. We actually will tell you, like, don't invest on the platform because you're not going to be successful. We'll only be successful as a platform, as an equity crowdfunding platform if our investors are successful at the end of the day. So we spend a lot of time helping with that educational piece. How do you pick successful stocks? How do you pick successful early stage investments? You know, there's no magic formula, but you know, one of the main things that you can do is diversification. And that's, and that's something we preach. So we don't want people losing their money. That's bad for them. And that just doesn't work in this industry. So it's a little bit different, right? So where rewards crowdfunding campaigns, you know, at a dollar price point, you can get full inclusion of anybody who wants to support a project you know, we struggle a little bit with that in the equity crowdfunding space. When is the company ready to go equity? And would you say typically the divider is B2B goes equity, B2C goes rewards? That's what it kind of seems like. Again, I, I don't know if it seems that way. It just happens to be that rewards crowdfunding is particularly good for B2C and not as good for B2B as opposed to the inverse, which is true on the equity side. So again, we don't look at like idea level companies, idea stage companies. We're looking for companies that have already mostly created a product, already have something in the market, already can show a little bit of traction. That gives us a little bit more of a boost in terms of our believability in the story, our trustworthiness that, you know, this has legs, you know, so for us, traction is really important. Traction can come in different forms. It could be early revenues. It could be early partnerships. It could be, you know, beta testers of the, of the product out there, feedback, partnerships, things like that. Traction for us is really important as we look to go down. So 
I'm not to say I don't know if B2C particularly works well. I think it happens to be that given because we're focused on Israel as an investment destination, that many of the people are working on B2B type products and less on B2C. And that's, that's and then it just becomes representative of our portfolio at that point. But I think as we look internationally, we're definitely be going B2C. Sorry. So I'm just saying like we have invested in B2C. We invest in a San Francisco-based company called Boatbound, which is pretty much Airbnb for boats. There's particular problems in terms of the rental boat market. And you know the average person who owns a boat only goes out on it maybe 11 to 16 days a year, sits you know sort of fallow the rest of the year. They've created a model that makes it very easy with insurance and with towing and everything like that for people to rent out their boats for the day, for the week. That's a B2C product, very much a B2C you know, promotion model. And you know, we invested them as well. So I'm not sure it really breaks down B2B, B2C lines personally. Okay. And that sounds like an awesome startup because with Airbnb, I mean, you're typically homes go up in value the longer you hold them, but your boat, it's just going to start breaking down if you can't use it. It just loses yeah, value. Yeah. Use it or you lose yeah. it. So, so Yeah. So uh, that's really cool. And so just to, you know, to drill down a little bit on your earlier question. So Boatbound came to Aircraft. Boatbound had been invested in by traditional venture capitalists. They were looking to go international, right? So they need to get into every marina around the world. And so we have, on the equity side, at least, we have investors in over 30 countries, you know, particularly many of whom own boats and enjoy boating. They're wealthy people. What a great idea to get them as investors and to make intros to the local marinas. And so that's already happening. Can't say it happens because it's a closed group. It doesn't happen as much as it would in the reward side, but you have some really smart, really talented, really experienced people in there, and they're helping to create value for the companies that are on our platform. That's awesome. So you guys, you're basically building a shark tank. Speaking of, who's your favorite shark? <laughs> I'm sorry to say I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the show, particularly because I, I think it, it creates entertainment out of something that uh, is really serious. I don't know. I, we, we just take it more seriously than that. So I, I don't know if that's a cop-out answer. How about you? I, mm, I don't know, but Kevin O'Leary, he's a bit of a dick. But uh, yeah. getting on that show is enormous. If you get on there, that is such a powerful engine for getting in front of people. Speaking of that, what, what oh, do you... Oh, it's a total Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. it's, it's absolutely. It's Kickstarter on steroids where you just get in front of absolutely massive audiences. What have some, been some of the successful strategies that the startups you guys have invested in have done to break into the market and grow? What's something that Kickstarter creators can learn from? That's an interesting question. So I'll give you an example. So one of the companies we had is it was actually the first equity crowdfunded company on any platform that has gone public. It's called Rewalk Robotics. It's a bionic exoskeleton that basically helps paraplegics who have been relegated to a wheelchair to walk again. It's an incredible product. It was developed here in Israel. When President Obama came to visit Israel a couple of years ago, he actually met with he met with five companies. This was one of the companies he met with. And I mean, it changes lives. You listen to the people who wear this thing you know, these were people who didn't have hope of walking again. Their family members, you know, are so happy that they can look eye to eye with their mom. I mean, it's really emotional. If you go to their website, it's rewalk.com. You can just see it's, it, there's some amazing stories there. So one of the things they did was really get, so they found their, their audience was basically veterans, like people coming back from, you know, supporting their country overseas, particularly if you're an American listening to the show. So you're talking about Iraq war veterans, like Afghanistan veterans, these are people that have come, they've, they've given a lot to their country to come back paralyzed. Depending upon the injury, this rewalk can completely change their life. So they did a lot of work with the VA, the Veterans Administration Hospital System. They did a lot of work reaching out directly to veterans who have come back from wars and have been relegated to wheelchairs. They got them up and running in these units. They were the best spokespeople for the company because it changed their lives and they were telling other people about it. That was a word of mouth campaign and just and, and a PR campaign that I think 
it even put pressure on the FDA, I, I believe. Again, I, this is from my perspective only to fast track, you know, approval of the device because people were asking for it. There wasn't another device on the market that did that. So I, again, I'm not sure 100% that was what you were looking for. But to me, that was just a great like sort of affinity marketing. They went straight to their audience of people who could impact the most and let them do the marketing for them. No, I think that's absolutely brilliant. That applies pre-Kickstarter, post-Kickstarter, getting it out to people. And I'm actually on the site now. This looks so cool. It's essentially, it's like Iron Man legs for people that were previously paralyzed. And that's pretty incredible. Where do you, so, where do you think crowdfunding? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's even a there's even a sequel to this story. So the early entrepreneur who designed the Rewalk device is a quadriplegic and actually can't use the Rewalk device. He he founded Rewalk and and helped take the company public. He's founded a new company which we just funded called Up and Ride, which is basically the next generation wheelchair, mechanical mobile wheelchair, mechanized wheelchair. So it actually there's been a lot of research done that people in wheelchairs, you know, if you look back, I mean, I think the technology for wheelchairs has been around for like 3,000 years, people sitting in a, in a wheelchair. He actually has a, an upright version, uh, almost like a Segway of sorts, a self-writing, you know, self-stabilizing machine that people who couldn't necessarily wear a rewalk device could actually become much more mobile in this type of device. And we actually just funded that company. And because this guy had so much success early on, I mean, it was crazily successful on our platform in terms of raising money. We were like four times oversubscribed for the round. So it's just interesting for us to see it, having funded an entrepreneur early on, had a success, come back again with a new product. The crowd was really definitely willing to, to bet on him again because of what he's done in the past. It absolutely works the same way, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. You launch that second campaign, you've got all those backers from before, you've got that credibility. You can come back way stronger. And for your founder, make sure he doesn't follow the suit of the Segway founder. He had a little bit of issue with a, with a cliff. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But that's, um, uh, that's, that's awesome that he's doing that. He's going as a serial entrepreneur, just creating amazing things. I'm curious, Matt, do you have, even in the early, you know, in the early days of rewards-based crowdfunding, can you identify, are there like celebrities in rewards-based crowdfunding pointing to people like individuals who say like, these guys have mastered the medium? Uh, I'd say there's a couple guys. I was actually listening to an interview. I want to get the guy on. He's doing Bomber Bag, which is just an absolutely amazing product. Uh, basically, the most beautifully designed bag you've ever seen. But he's nice. run 15 Kickstarter campaigns successfully for his company, basically working with clients. And there's not as many that I would say are celebrities, but there's Grepper, the guy that did Coolest Cooler, raised over $13 million. I would say he's your biggest celebrity. And then some of the other big-time campaigns are larger than life. But the founders might be a little bit hidden behind that. Like Oculus, they raised around $2 million, sold for $2 billion to Facebook two years later. Mm -hmm. Pebble, Smartwatch, all of the crazy big name ones that are changing the world. Most people don't know the names behind them, unfortunately. But what's but, interesting now, yeah. they, only part of their work is done, right? So they raised their money. Now they got to go back and actually run a company, right? They've got to build the product. And yeah. that's interesting because they're not, it's, it's just such an early stage for these guys. They don't really, if they're serious about what they're doing, they actually, you know, now they have, they've built themselves a full-time, more than full-time job. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you come to crowdfunding, like, gosh, I just want to do this and then I'll have made it. And then the second your campaign funds, it's like, holy crap, what happens next? The money's coming in. You've got to get manufacturing. Something's going to go wrong. You've got to fulfill 20x the orders that you expected. And all of a sudden you're in from, yeah, like you were saying, not a full-time job, but like a double full-time job, just trying to make it happen. That said, if you survive, you could exit a company like that and be pretty well off. Yeah, I would love to uh, 
I saw those T-shirts where it said, I, you know, I, I backed Oculus Rift and all I got was a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, that's sort of the, the equity crowdfunding pitch. We could say, hey, not only can you back it, but hopefully if it does get sold and there's a huge profit there, you're going to, the reward you get is actually owning equity in that piece. So that just is a different perspective. That is huge. But at the same time, like the people that do that, they complain about it. I mean, you're, yeah. opt- you're opting in. No one forced you to do it. You knew, exactly. what, you knew what you were doing and Oculus was killing it. Hopefully we'll get them on our show relatively soon. We'll see. Just pr- props out to you. And David and I were thinking about what, you know, what the format of this week in crowdfunding would be. You know, we were saying, well, would it be interesting to bring in entrepreneurs for them to talk about their experiences? Can we learn from them? And we said, no, Matt Ward's doing that, man. Like Art of the Kickstart, like they've got that covered. We can't really provide a lot of value there. We can provide value in different ways. So uh, definitely you're doing some great work there in, in your interviews with, uh, with entrepreneurs. I think that's really valuable. Thanks, man. I love, the, I love the guest hosting format as well. It's weird. It's kind of, it's a challenge. I, getting into the guest hosting, I feel like you'd have to have a really close connection with someone to really make it work. At least with interviews, it's slightly less pressure. You just uh, each one something new, a little bit easier. And it's great. So you're building your own community as well, right? Of people who have participated on the show and, you know, you're able to help them in other ways beyond just the interview. I think that's a really interesting model as well. Absolutely. We've got a, a super secret Facebook group where only past podcast guests get access to. And we're still working on growing that, but it's over 50 people strong. And hopefully it should just keep getting more and more valuable. Who knows? Maybe a membership site or something in the future, but you never really know, right? Looking forward to see what you're, what you're going to produce. Absolutely. Same to you. Sounds like we're getting close to wrapping this up. Where's the best place people can reach out and talk to you, Zach? So, I mean, you can see what we're doing on the podcast for This Week in Crowdfunding.com. I'm also on Twitter at New Rules Invest. Those are probably the best ways to find me. Obviously, our crowd is OurCrowd.com. You can see some of the, uh, the companies we're investing in. Unfortunately, given some of the regular regulation in the industry, only accredited investors are allowed to, uh, to register for the platform at this point, which means you have to have a net worth of over a million bucks or have a certain income between $200,000 $300,000. It's a high bar, but I think there's some regulation in place and, and some, you know, some things going on in, in politics that hopefully will open that up over the long term. How about you, Matt? Where can my listeners find you? Yeah, the Jobs Act's taken absolutely forever to really make something happen. You guys, if you want to come, go to artofthekickstart.com slash TWIC, like This Week in Crowdfunding. You can get free resources on how to make an epic rewards-based crowdfunding campaign. Or just check me out on Twitter at MattBNB, like Airbnb from an old, poorly made decision. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, for guys. I'm glad, uh, glad we had a chance to do this, Zach. It's been cool. Thanks to you as well, Matt. Thanks. This was a great episode. Hopefully the format wasn't absolutely awful for both of our audiences. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what they say. Hope you guys like this. Well- Happy to share the feedback as well. Yeah, the feedback. It was an experiment. It was it was an experiment. We'll see how the experiment results. At least neither of us died, so it could have gone up. <laughs> could have gone worse, I suppose. Thank you, and thanks for everybody listening as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Hey guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. 
And if you like this show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.